This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, September 11th, 2020. I'm Jason Breifel of Shaw, Bransford & Roth. Before we begin today's discussion, I want to take a moment of silence to honor and remember the thousands of Americans we lost on this day 19 years ago and those who continue to serve on the front lines in the war on terror around the world. We're really excited for the discussion today. Um, It's an important one within the government, within uh, the private sector. We're focusing on customer experience. Uh, within the healthcare and insurance industries. And uh, to lead the discussion with me this week is my co-host, James Heelan, uh, also from Shaw, Brainsford and Roth. Welcome to Fed Talk, James. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me today. And, uh, and in our first segment of the show, and, and for the first half of the show, we're going to have uh, Sanjay Koyani. Sanjay is the Executive Director for Innovation at the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, thanks for being with us, Sanjay. Joining us in the second portion of the show will be Shane Canfield, the CEO of the Worldwide Assurance for Employees of Public Agencies, known inside the Beltway as WEPA. Welcome, Shane, and thanks for joining us today. Before we dive in, I want to remind everyone that FedTalk is brought to you by FedPoint. FedPoint administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored federal long-term care insurance program. To learn more, visit them at fedpointusa.com today. Well, Sanjay, let's let's dive in, and uh, I want to start this conversation off by actually taking us back a few years, um, because this cus- the customer experience and the focus on customer experience is nothing new. Um, but um, you know, where's HHS been going? Um, can you tell us about the journey that that the department has been on um, in recent years? Uh, thank you, Jason. Uh, first, one thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. I've been on the show before, and I, I really appreciate the service that you guys bring to, to uh, really bring these issues for our other federal partners across government. So I, I'm Sanjay Koyani. I'm the, the executive director in the HHS Chief Technology Office, which now currently sits in the immediate office of the secretary at HHS. And I also have had the uh, pleasure of leading Reimagine HHS uh, on a couple of initiatives. First, the Optimized Regional Performance Initiative, and now... I, I did so well there. I was asked to lead the Data Insights Initiative. And so I, I kind of dual-headed there. Uh, let, let me first start with the CTO, just to give a bit of background. So in CTO, we, we test and validate solutions to solve challenging problems in the delivery of our, our mission, Health and Human Services. And overall, we're tasked with promoting innovation across the entire department. And this includes leveraging things like design thinking, user-centered design, crowdsourcing through prize and challenge competitions, engaging public-private partnerships to help advance stuff that the government can't do alone, and other techniques uh, as we look at new approaches to old problems. And so we have a, a, a number of really interesting projects that we're pursuing, and hopefully we'll be able to get a chance to go into that a little further in the show. But let, me, let me shift gears to my other hat and reimagine and uh, I believe we've, we've presented Reimagine before on this show. So let me remind you about Reimagine HHS, as I believe um, it, it's, it's still a really relevant uh, activity here at HHS and is one of our, our robust transformation efforts to improve our ability to enhance the health and well-being of all Americans. And so just as a bit of reminder, in, in, in spring of 2017, the Office of uh, Management and Budget released OMB uh, M1722 that required all cabinet level agencies to develop a plan to become more effective, efficient, and accountable. And in response to that, we, we uh, formed to reimagine HHS, which is an effort, I'm really proud to say, that's owned and driven by employees. 
I think some cabinet level agencies looked from the top and said, how are we going to implement this? HHS looked at the bottom up and said, what uh, in each of our different divisions, how do we bring people together and ideate around what those solutions should be? And that was a really, I think, a, a customer centric and a very forward way of thinking about it. So what, what Reimagine is comprised of is six strategic shifts that helps the agency advance its work. And some of these are uh, leveraging the power of data. We've got an effort looking at mission data, another one looking at administrative data, but how do we do that as a, as a whole at the department to improve data sharing, which is super important. Uh, restoring market forces, putting people at the center of HHS programs and uh, central to CTO is also central to reimagine, which is making sure that these things are being driven by our citizens and our our, our employees to really make sure it's, it's matching their needs and not our not the uh, government's needs alone. Generating efficiencies through streamlined processes, and there you have things like our efforts to uh, improve our like our grant process, uh, making HHS more innovative and, re and a more responsive organization. And finally, uh, moving to a 21st century workforce, which is, which was looking at how do we uh, reimagine how we service our employees and how we really make sure one of our most important assets is uh, is is functioning at the highest level. So a lot of really good, interesting things going on. Uh, I'll just re-emphasize that all the programs are focused on improving the customer experience and are built with agency staff and our external customers to ensure we're meeting those needs. So very collaborative, very customer centric, and really, if you look even at the, in private industry, the, the, the approach that you should be taking for some of these larger transformation efforts to, to really function and, 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 uh, and come out successful. Thanks so much for setting the stage for us, Sanjay. It's, it's really helpful to, to get caught up and remember what those themes and those initiatives are and, and kind of HHS really set the mold for agencies with their transformation plans by coming out the gate um, under the uh, Secretary Price's initial leadership of the department uh, to carry this forward. And you know, one question that comes to mind, you mentioned the CTO office is within the immediate office of the secretary. Can you kind of talk about how being in the secretary's office with the CTO function has, has helped serve as a driver um, for this initiative across the entire department? So, HHS, as you know, is a, is a pretty big organization, uh, $1.3 trillion plus, 80, over 80,000 staff. Uh, you've got big brands like FDA and CDC and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid, uh, NIH, largest biomedical research uh, organization in the world. So you've got lots of well-established uh, organizations with really crucial either health or human service missions. And having somebody centrally and having leadership centrally come in and help to give that guidance to one, it's seen as not just another mandate, but something that uh, we truly want to come out of the fabric of the agencies, uh, the agency, but knowing that it has leadership's interest and attention, and that it's not just, we're going to ask you to do this and we'll check in with you after the four years, but continually establishing processes and procedures for doing that is absolutely critical. It all starts, I think, in headquarters at the top. And uh, people, I think, really do look to see how much is leadership paying attention, who's focused on this, how are we getting engaged, and how are we communicating on it? And so coming out of the IOS, coming out of the secretary's office, uh, and, and having uh, some of our leaders very actively being as engaged now as they were back in 2016 is, is super important. And that, to me, sends the right kind of message and communications as to uh, why this is important. This, isn't, this wasn't just a one and done thing, and that we very much want first to make this part of the culture. And, uh, and, and, and when reimagine is gone, that that spirit of reimagining the department, basing it on customer experience is really uh, well established and, and, and this is the right way to do it. Have you observed any um, user accountability for HHS reimagine across these changes in leadership? You know, for example, you said the process was owned and driven by HHS employees. So I'm wondering if they provided continuity and accountability. They, 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 they did. And I think it was a combination approach, both the, the leadership at the top helping to set the stage, but creating a lot of uh, feedback loops for people within the agency, whether it was the division leaders, the managers or the employees 
to uh, come back and say, okay, so we're looking at your data insights initiative and establishing a cross-agency sharing data sharing strategy. Uh, when we're pushing this out, it's being driven by active engagement of the divisions as the customer to actively bring in use cases and build out the system and how that goes let's kind of is voting. It's like letting leadership know that this is moving in the right direction and we want, we, we're, we're actively engaged uh, throughout the next, the, the past few years, or you're not getting people showing up and you're getting a lot of negative feedback. So that keeps us very accountable to the customers and puts them in the driver's seat. And that's, and that's really centrally important because us creating a data sharing strategy and a data sharing tool is of zero value if no one's using it and you don't have that constant buy-in at the outset. Thanks, Sanjay. That's that's super helpful, and I think the the interplay between the employees continuing to focus on this and knowing that leadership hasn't just set this course and then moved on to other things seems to be a real part of that success story uh, for HHS yep. um, and reimagine. And we're going to talk more about that after our first break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are here with Executive Director of Innovation at HHS, Sanjay Koyani, discussing the Reimagine HHS project. Also joining us this segment is Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Let's go to Sanjay. Sanjay, can you tell us how HHS is using customer experience to improve its services? Great question. Uh, let me jump into this one because it really is at the center of, of, of a lot of what we do. So a central role of CTO or of, of innovation is putting the customer at the center of everything we do. And to truly create transformative experiences, you have to shift your business model and, and, and really even your mindset away from your needs or the government's needs or just in your leader's needs also encompass, encompass the, the customer's needs. And so what we've seen is it really starts with ensuring you have leadership buy-in and, and executive champions who understand the need and expect customer feedback throughout this a, a service or a product design or even a, a whole new serv, uh, system that we're creating. But you gotta have leadership support. And, and from there, it continues with understanding the customer's journey and leveraging opportunities to engage them early and often, as well as other stakeholders through a number of, of different techniques. You, you, you could use interviews, uh, site visits, virtual roundtables. We've done a lot of those recently, journey maps. And, uh, but whatever, whatever that is, to continue to get constant feedback and also incorporate that into early prototypes. So as you're getting the user feedback and you're, making, you're creating early designs, you're incorporating the two together to really validate, are we solving the problems and are we, create, are we delighting our customers in what we're delivering? Uh, I, I think also part of the equation are metrics where you track customer feedback and performance and using your systems and their incremental and overall satisfaction. And so not only how well is this performing and meeting their needs, but how uh, satisfied is the customer throughout the process? And there are, there are tools and, and methods and methodologies for using that, but it ought not be just let's engage our customers and hope we're going in the right way. You have to measure that, and there's ways to do that. Um, this is the approach we use with Reimagine. And for example, all of our efforts started with discovery which is really important. When I, when I led, I mentioned I led the Optimized Regional Performance Initiative, where it's an effort where HHS has not collectively assessed our regional offices. And we have 10 located across the country that 12 of our divisions use. We hadn't collectively assessed our regional offices in over uh, 40 years to ensure that they were functioning at the level they should and they were aligned with, with headquarters priorities. And so to start this, I visited all 10 HHS regions and engaged the staff at all levels before we started designing ideas to improve performance. And as the lead of the Data Insights Initiative, another one of our reimagined efforts, looking at cross-agency data sharing, we spent the first several months engaging HHS divisions to determine what data sharing 
uh, needs existed, where there were opportunities, where there were problems and challenges. And that was all documented, drafted up, and it was converted into a public report that we put up on our website. And that was fed off of then a roadmap to improve data sharing at the agency. But this all starts with discovery and it all starts with user engagement so that we're not coming and saying, I have the answer. We're coming in very humbly and saying, let's, we have an idea, there's an issue. Let's get in early, engage the right folks, and let's validate that as we go through the process in an agile and open-minded way. I think you, the first part of your answer is particularly fascinating. You're talking about moving away from the government's needs towards the customer's needs. And I wonder, you know, given HHS is a large department, how do you distinguish between the government's needs and the customer's needs? And how do you resolve any potential conflicts between those differing needs? Sure. So I would, I would say everything's a balance and a trade-off. Um, I, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily say that it doesn't start with government having some insight, but typically that government insight isn't informed just by what we're getting across our desks or what's coming down from leadership. We also have active channels to get feedback from our customers saying, here's the problem. And so once you get those two balanced together, it's a constant dance of here's what the agent, the government's intent is because we know we have to move in this direction or this is an important service we have to put out. But the customer coming back in saying, great, but if you put it out this way, I'm not going to use it. I may not even understand what you're putting out to use. And that's the same if you're talking about our internal customers using this data sharing strategy or our external customers. But there's a real art and science with this around how you balance both, but you have to have some channels on the outside and understand what's going on and where those needs are and balance that against leaders. Um, and, and I'll give you a great example. Like when, when I'm at, when I was dealing with leading usability, I, I led the effort to create usability.gov, which is the first usability.gov platform for government. And a lot of this was that people were building sites for themselves and they weren't building it for the user. And I always started with saying, leaders, what are the top 10, 15 things you need this, we need this site, this product, this service to do. And then let's get out to the customers and find out what are their top, or top, top 10 or 15 things they expect from us around this product service. And you balance the two together to really define what the needs are and how they both meet what leaders have to push out. They may not want to know the latest information about this mandate, but we got to put it out. Let's just make sure it's usable. And there's stuff that they're saying, if you give us this, we can do, we can engage you much more effectively or comply with your regulation or guidance much more effectively, but you got to do it this way. And it's that, it's that combination and why good companies spend 30% of their time at the beginning on just getting this piece right and not just rushing to develop something and then try to fix it on the back end. And so there's, it, there's a way to do this and, 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 uh, and, 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 and you need to satisfy both, but you should be doing that. Thanks so much, Sanjay. It was really great hearing about how HHS has been using customer experience to improve its processes, its services, to think differently about how uh, the department and its divisions, how its regional offices work together uh, as a consistent whole uh, to better serve your customers. I wanted to bring Shane in because I know that um, WEPA has also been uh, really focused on, on customer experience and customer service. Um, and these are driven by market forces, of course, but using similar processes and protocols. So Shane, I was hoping you can give us some insights into uh, the customer experience journey that WEPA has been on in recent years. Yes, thank you. It's a, uh, it's a great question. Uh, you and I talked before. We had started this journey uh, a few years back. And so we switched carriers. Uh, we do have a supporting insurance company that works with us. That's uh, New York Life now, but for 75 years, it had been Cigna. And so when we transitioned in late 2016, uh, we recognized that the customer experience part of our organization had not been given the, the attention it needed, and it hadn't been done in a long time. So we had a we had a website, for example, that was 20 years old, perhaps. It was it was I could have coded it. Um, it was really bad, uh, inefficient, and wasn't serving our needs. So so we we recognized then. A journey needed to happen, but it had to be sequential. You can't do, a, can't go from zero to 100 in one step. So the first thing we did, introduced a new carrier, and developed a new 
website. Then we moved on to uh, usability studies where we took a hard look at how our um, customers uh, using that website and is it functional uh, both for the user experience but also our interface with our insurance company. So there were two pieces to that. And uh, from there we moved, uh, so we made adjustments to the web experience. Then we moved to a customer journey uh, profile where we, we did bring in outside consultants to help us at each step of the way because we really wanted to do this uh, well. Uh, the customer journey mapping, uh, we'd never done that before. So we uh, developed about 56 different touch points with the consumer, it was 56 or seven, uh, identified them, identified which were difficult and which were fixable, and we fixed as many as we could. So that was one piece. Then we took that learning combined it with the development of personas, who are the people that interface with us, because not, it, it, not every single demographic profile in the country does. So we have feds, we know the uh, certain uh, profile of those folks. And then we laid those two customer journey mapping along with uh, the profile, the personas of our members and uh, mapped out a brand new digital experience on our website. And that's been completely revamped. In fact, that'll be launching uh, late this year. And it all ties back to making it easy for, for our members, making understanding what they need. Uh, the marketing folks call this meeting them where they are. And it's been quite a great experience. And we have really changed a lot. Uh, in our customer journey through these various analyses and then the changes. It's a sequential journey. Thanks so much for sharing the journey that WEPA has been on, Shane. Uh, you know what I think one of the interesting parallels between where WEPA has been going and the path that it's on and where HHS has been going is that uh, this has been a focus in, in recent years, uh, you know, with, with you coming on board in 2016. Uh, as a CEO and, and with um, the new administration and the Reimagine initiative uh, kicking off. And, and it sounds like for both organizations, this focus on customer uh, experience has really driven some really dramatic um, changes in your business processes and in operations. And it's, it's now starting to then infiltrate into your, your culture and your organization and your workforce. Uh, where hopefully it will, it will really stick and continue to, to benefit your customers on into the future. Um, we have to stop here for our second break. Uh, we'll continue our discussion with Sanjay Kayani from HHS, Shane Canfield from WEPA, after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are joined today by Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and Sanjay Koyani, Executive Director of Innovation at HHS. We have discussed shifts in healthcare and insurance over the last several years. Now we're going to talk about the role of COVID-19 as an accelerant in these reforms. And I think a question that, that I'd like to, to kick that off with is kind of what, what vulnerabilities did the pandemic expose um, both in the healthcare system and in your organizations? And maybe Sanjay, we can start with you. So, I mean, there were a number, I think everybody may have experienced these things all collectively, but let me narrow it in a little bit from my CTO and reimagine uh, data insights perspective uh, framework. We, we really got a deep sense that we need greater and fact, faster access uh, to data across the federal government 
our state partners and other uh, sectors to answer questions and improve our decision making. And uh, we need secure systems to integrate and analyze the data, again, for better decision making. And, and this is really essential because in a crisis, data informs that good decision making. And the one thing that I saw that everybody needed more of was good quality integrated data to help to inform our planning, our response, um, our, our predictability in, in how we were approaching the, the, the crisis. And the good news is that in HHS, we'd already identified through Reimagine uh, data sharing as a strategic priority and a need to strengthen it at the agency and to not only improve the culture, but also the, 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 the approaches and systems and data use agreement processes that we have in place. And I think what the pandemic did was further accelerate the need to, that, that emphasized the need for HHS to have access to its data, to have those right data partnerships, uh, and to strengthen its approach. So a lot of this stuff dovetailed nicely. On the WEPA side, uh, it's very similar. We, we did relook at a lot of our, I would say processes, yes, but privacy was a really big deal for us. We've seen, a, uh, this is, uh, widely reported in many businesses, certainly in ours, and I'm sure in government, uh, the bad guys are out in force right now. And so we have redoubled our already extensive effort around privacy. And that involves internal communications, but also communications between important vendors. We also strengthened all of our contractual relationships so that every one of our vendors, we're, we're all on the same page. We're all singing uh, the same tune. <clears throat> and uh, uh, the, the final thing I'd mention is that uh, we've developed a, a, a culture around what we're calling accelerating through the curve, meaning we had technology plans on the books for several years, and we had a choice to make. Is COVID, which is hurting, we're actually doing okay in COVID world, but a lot of companies aren't. Even if you're doing okay, you still, as a as a business must analyze your cash flow and where the money is going to come from and how is not just COVID, but the resultant economic um, trouble that we're in, how has that affected your, your business in the near term? And do you still want to make those investments that you had planned pro COVID? Well, we did a lot of analytics around that and we decided like some companies that are able to yes, keep up with our investments because technology has to keep up and we can't put a pause on projects that we started a couple of years ago and say, well, when the economy comes out of its recovery or comes back into a, a state of normal uh, and who knows how long that will be, right? Some, you know, the V-shaped curve recovery, I think we all know that that's optimistic at best. It's going to be a longer recovery period. So we've been blessed to keep with our technology um, investments. And those relate to the things I talked about before with the customer experience. They related to our internal um, uh, processing of uh, insurance applications and, and all of the customer service that we need to do. Uh, there are a lot of pieces to that. It's a global look. So you know, I, I'm assuming the federal government did a similar thing, Sanjay, you guys did. Yeah. You didn't take your foot off the gas right now. Now is the wrong time to take your foot off the gas. Absolutely. In fact, as you mentioned, it, we looked at where could we accelerate more. To me, that, that really points to how both these plans that, that both your organizations already had in place, the, the vision for where you wanted to go um, has been informing kind of uh, the pivots to your traditional business models, traditional ways of thinking about stakeholders, customers, um, how your workforce is going to meet the needs um, of those, those customers. And uh, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that, uh, Sanjay and Shane. Uh, maybe Sanjay, you could kick us off. Thank you. Uh so Jason, and, uh, things have shifted, I think, on a number of fronts, uh, both at HHS, I think, in the federal government. I mean, COVID has forced us basically to adapt. Uh, for example, at the, at the workforce level, CTO staff went from occasional uh, telework to shifting uh, like overnight to completely remote work 
and in a lot of ways had to learn how to maximize video conferencing for day-to-day meetings and presentations and all these critical things that were going on and couldn't get interrupted. Uh, but people were able to adapt pretty well. We used a number of video conferencing technologies, have improved those with customer feedback, and we haven't noticed any drop in productivity. On, on customer engagement, uh, we're look, now looking at engaging customers uh, in, in, in new ways that don't, don't require them to necessarily be all the time in front of us. Uh, for instance, uh, we, we, we've done a lot of virtual roundtables as a way to engage our customers. And typically, we would host these at HHS in the Humphrey Building at headquarters. Uh, and, you know, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, I hosted a virtual roundtable on how, on how HHS and its partners could use social determinants of health data, really critical data, to fight COVID-19. And normally, to engage the public and the private sector experts and patients and others, we'd host these sessions at HHS HQ and hold the roundtable breakout sessions physically to explore different themes. And, and due to COVID, we did this stakeholder engagement completely virtual. And we smartly leveraged technologies that allow breakout sessions and the ability to vote on ideas all remotely. Uh, what it also enabled us to do is to start thinking about how we could build online communities that would we could use post roundtables uh, to, to enable the attendees uh, that came to us for these two-day sessions to provide ongoing virtual feedback and engagement after the roundtable was over. And, and this has improved how we conduct these kind of user engagement sessions uh, in a way that's better than our traditional approach. Uh, on the data front, there's uh, even more of an emphasis, as I mentioned, on getting forecasting data to better predict the impact of COVID uh, on the healthcare system and how artificial intelligence and machine learning can help us get ahead of this pandemic. So, uh, you know, similar to what we heard before, this is now helping to accelerate and staying focused on some of these areas that we may have been dabbling with. And now we know we have to go in a much more concerted way. So I think this is still evolving and it, it'll be interesting to see what other parts of our business models will just naturally adapt based on the pandemic. Yeah. And, and um, I love what you just said, Sanjay, that, this is uh, evolving. It really is. So we, we uh, as many organizations did, we started working from home in March. That was uh, a big deal. And what we used was our, our business interruption planning for that. So it was in response to what you might call an emergency. We did have some staff on site. Uh, we couldn't be completely remote. We are an essential business. So now we're really diving into a project that was on the horizon for next year, which was understanding telework and do we want to do that? Well, now we're recognizing that that this is a way of the future and COVID pushed us, Jason, to your point, it pushed us in that direction quicker than we wanted to, but it, we're embracing it um, and it, it's, it's working. So we, we've got productivity tools in place and measures. We're not seeing any. Uh, drop in productivity at all. So it's uh, we've been very impressed with that. It, the um, on the customer side, we're starting to implement some tools uh, over the next year. Plans that are now accelerated. Plans on um, how do you interface with somebody online real time? How do you provide deep dive information to them during the course of exploring? Uh, in our case, life insurance. So. Uh, these are technologically based enhancements, but it's not just technology because you have to have the human beings that are doing the interface. So the technology is the tool which allows human beings to interact with human beings. And then the final piece uh, uh, I'll mention about Sanjay, for example, we, um, we, we have our annual meeting, member meeting. This is something that we must do each year. And of course we embrace that. We have uh, workshops, we turn it into a, a larger meeting, but we do have a uh, requirement to have a business meeting. Um, we're doing that online. So we'll be filming, uh, we'll be live streaming that from the Reagan uh, building uh, conference center in October. That's open to all feds. Uh, if you want to join us, please, please uh, go to our website and, and register. But uh, this will be interesting, totally online. 
Yeah, we've, <laughs> we have we have panels, we have plenary session speakers, we have conversations that are happening. We have multiple ways that we're going to be communicating. We'll we'll get it right, but it's uh, that's not something that was on the table six months ago. Now that your business models have been exposed to this unexpected event, I'm wondering quickly if there's any lessons um, either HHS or WEPA has learned that you're applying to the next unexpected event, whatever it might be. Sanjay? Great question. I think we're all still, given the pandemic, kind of building the ship as we're sailing it, uh, but keeping very much an eye to what lessons are we learning from what's happened and just a realization that we can't be in a situation where we're not like this again, where we're not as prepared. And you're hearing a lot of things being mentioned around how, you know, resiliency. How resilient are we in, uh, in our approaches? I'm, I'm working on a great effort with the Assistant Secretary for Health and his team around how they're looking at the resiliency of the healthcare system. And when you look at what COVID has done and its impact it's had on healthcare in a number of different health fronts, uh, what kind of impact has that had and how can we prepare for that on the front end? And again, much of this is data-driven. But if you're looking at opioid use or the impacts on, on minorities and the elderly and, and other conditions, what has COVID done? How resilient has the healthcare system been? And how can we leverage data to understand on the front end what those impacts are so we can plan for them and make better policy or resourcing decisions down the road? So we're not only looking at after actions or or and, and planning while we're responding, but we're also uh, looking at how data can be leveraged to help us do much greater predictability and not forget about uh, just COVID, but what also is the impact it's having on other elements and how we can be resilient to that. Yeah, I, Sanjay, I love that. that uh, we, we have a similar dilemma, but we don't have exactly the same issue. But I will tell you from a, uh, we do have 46,000 insureds in our life plan. And that's a lot. This uh, COVID, how does it impact? So we've had to look carefully at our business, uh, working strong, uh, carefully with our actuaries. And we're trying to project what what is going to be the impact. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're fine. We're doing well. But you can't wing it on this. So we have done some deep dive studies. And what that also does is force you to really look down into the data on, in our case, on the demographics of our insured population. What are the potential places where we might go in and, and help affect outcomes? Uh, it's, it's a long-term vision because we are in a long-term business. Now, HHS is too, I would imagine. You're not thinking about what's going to, you, yes, you are thinking about the short-term, but there's also a 10, 20, 30-year time horizon here that's very important to us. And so we've spent a lot of time uh, imagining what's going to happen 20, 50 years in the future. In our case, it's literally important because we are taking on obligations right now to pay claims 20, 30 years from now. So we must, in not just our operations, but our investments and how we plan for the future financially. So it's a combination of technology, but also financial long-term planning that we're doing. That's wonderful, Shane. And I want to pause us there for our final break, and then we can come back to talk about how these decisions, these uh, situations happening right now, really informing the future as you think, you know, decades on into the future. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're entering our last segment of the show with Shane Canfield of WEPA to discuss what the future looks like in light of all these evolving customer and employee needs. And Shane, before the break, you're talking to us about the decisions that you're making today at WEPA have huge implications for the future of your business and the customers that you're serving. And these aren't just the decisions that affect you next year, but you're talking lifespans, decades. Um, 
how do you go through that long range planning? How are you thinking about uh, what those, these decisions and these actions you're taking today um, are, are setting WEPA and your customers up for, for success in the future? It's a, it's a great question. And uh, I'm gonna flip to the, uh, away from the uh, customer journey, customer interaction lens uh, view into more of the insurance view at this point. The, uh, it was interesting in 2017, we did a very in-depth, long-term, deep actuarial study on our book of business. And uh, what were the likely impacts to our business? What are the, you know, how would each of those scenarios impact us? And pandemic was the number one. Some people would think it's you know terrorism or nuclear attacks because we have all feds, but that wasn't it. It was pandemic. Pandemics have been on the minds of actuaries for a century. And so we, um, <laughs> this was so interesting because at that time, it was considered a one in two to 400 year event. Two years later, here we are with COVID. So uh, I like to tease our, our folks about that. Um, you know, I thought it was going to be 200 years. It, it was two years. Um, but, the, but the point is that, that there are deep financial implications long term. So we're rethinking that piece. Really, any good life insurance company is a very conservative financial organization. We are no exception. New York Life is no exception. They're our principal carrier. Um, you know, tens of billion dollars in assets under management. These are mostly conservatively invested in bonds and, and things which you can count on going forward because we are obligating ourselves to make promises to pay decades down the road. So you were absolutely right about that. Um, an interesting piece in our business is uh, underwriting. So for a century, the way you bought life insurance traditionally, except to your employer, of course, that's different. That's a group plan. But the way you traditionally bought it was a human being, a representative of a company or more than one company would come to your house and you would have a conversation about your financial needs. What do I need going forward? Um, what's the best product to buy? How much can I afford? And you would uh, be guided by an agent and then they would present back to you quotes and uh, then you'd go through an application process. Part of that application process was if you bought a large amount of insurance was what in today's world you might consider invasive, but it was critical to understanding the risk. This would be um, blood and in, in urine, EKG, you know, all of this stuff, you, we would send a paramedical professional to your house and they, you would go through this process. Now, if you've had bought life insurance in any amount at all, everybody is familiar with this. Today, people were gravitating away towards that before COVID, but today people are absolutely not interested in that. And on top of that, we have to think about the health of our paramedical examiners, right? They can't just go out and and do this work without being very careful, you know, in a hospital environment or doctor's office environment, that's very controlled. But with paramedic exams, they're going to the person who's applying. So we've, we've uh, this uh, process of how do you underwrite and how do you understand the risk? It, it's been looked at for um, a few years, really about the last decade, but COVID pushed it, it pushed it forward. So now we are actually changing underwriting processes. The reason this is important is because when you've got a full century of understanding risk based on the medical exam, the medical questions, this is how we understand how much money is WEPA going to owe 30 years from now, right? These are not inconsequential decisions. So if you get it wrong now, you're going to have a real problem decades to come. I won't be at WEPA anymore then, but this is not how an organization like us rolls. We, we roll on a century lens. So uh, we are accelerating that process. We're doing using online tools. We're trying to understand it. So as we shift away from a paramedical exam, what are the options? How do we understand a person's health and model uh, the risk to the organization out in the future? 
you know, if you're three or four percentage points off amplified over 20 or 30 years, this is real money. So we're, we're being very careful, but, and we're, and it's working, right? And you'll see more and more doing this. The progressive insurance companies out there uh, have been pushed, but in a good way to understand how do we underwrite in today's environment? And um, that's perhaps a little inside baseball, Jason, but this is, this is really an important piece for uh, a management of a business. Um, it, you know, we have to get this right, and we are. So COVID, COVID pushed us forward, and we're doing it. So Shane, now that you've had your you know one in several hundred year event happen, um, what's the thinking inside WEPA about playing for this potential event in the future? Um, is, is is WEPA thinking that it's out of the way and, and you've got clear skies for a while? Or is there some plan to deal with a potential 200-year event in the next 10 or 20 years? Well, that's an absolutely excellent question. So when we did plan uh, last time, well, the standard way that we do this event planning, if you will, is we count on two of them in a row, right? So that's, uh, that's how we do our reserving, our cash flow management. And on top of that, we over-reserve. So we are absolutely fine. Um, but as far as does this change, the, I think what you're asking is, does this change our assumptions about the frequency of a pandemic? Yes. And I think the answer is, I think the answer is it may. It's way too early to know right now. But one of the things that's happened with COVID is this is the first in the modern medical era, this is the first time we've had a chance to see a pandemic responded to at a national level. This really hadn't at this at this depth of, at this medical risk. We haven't had this before. This is new territory. So um, you know we have to also uh, see how the medical system is going to respond. That's going to be part of it. Um, you know there are some things that weren't done as well as they could that we we know now you know isolation uh, understanding the risk providing uh, the medical risk understanding how the health system responds to it in terms of um, you know facilities and equipment um, testing we now know obviously testing is something that has to be spun up faster there's a lot of lessons learned here so we we will uh, you know we've had epidemiologists as part of our actuarial work and that will continue um, the answer is we don't know exactly yet, but, but it's a great question and when, when we are studying daily. I'm also wondering, you mentioned moving away from the individual uh, paramedical going and taking samples from an applicant for life insurance. If you're not taking samples from specific individuals and examining their specific health circumstances that way, what sort of factors are, are WEPA taking into consideration for new policy applicants? So we're not fully there yet. We do have some change in our underwriting guidelines that are in place right now, but there are very various things we can do. We do get attending physician statements, that's one. And it doesn't mean that you're not ever subjected to medical underwriting, right? There, It's a scaled approach. So if somebody comes to us and they wanna buy 1.5 million of coverage and they're 65 years old, the set of criteria for them are gonna be very different than somebody buying a half a million and is 40. Uh, we just know statistically that uh, there are certain risks at different ages and that's scaled by the amount of insurance in place. But there, um, uh, there are different databases out there. There are uh, prescription databases that, that uh, we check. There are driving records that we check, the different points of contact with an individual that are good predictors of longevity and not invasive at all. And of course, people give us permission to do this, just like we would get permission for a blood draw. And um, this is the way the industry is going. So the whole business is changing right now because we recognize that the old way of doing business is, is problematic. People don't want it. I don't want it. Right. I, I don't want to increase my personal life insurance and have a paramed come to my house and take a blood sample. You know, I love these guys. I'm in the business they're in. 
but this is this is something that we have to shift. The key is understanding if you change the data that goes into the prediction of what's going to happen 20 or 30 years from now, how is it variant from the, the model that you're currently using? That's really the trick. And, and I think we're getting there. Shane, thanks for sharing that. And I think that that's a, a really powerful thought, you know, for, for agencies, for businesses, you know, how are assumptions planning new information and data? You know, we heard from Sanjay, some of the efforts at, at HHS on the data side, um, social yeah. determinants of health, other factors like that. How do we guard against potential biases, um, racial and otherwise economic that could color decisions? But, but like you said, there's Consumers clearly are looking for something differently, and it's incumbent on, on organizations and leaders of organizations to think about how to uh, drive your organizations and your businesses, whether you're a government agency, uh, an insurance company like WEPA, to, to get, get those things done. Um, you know, do you have you know, kind of a final thoughts on, on that point before we wrap the show up today? Well, I think, I think your theme is spot on. You heard it uh, with Sanjay. You're hearing it with us. COVID has accelerated our global view of our business, and we are challenging old assumptions, and we're making changes. Those that adapt to this new environment are going to be able to serve their customers, their members, far better than those that do not. And so we have to embrace change. You know, a stodgy old life insurance business that hasn't changed much in a century, we're changing it right now. And COVID helped us push that along in a good way, there's a silver lining for you. But if you don't embrace this change right now, you're going to be left behind. What a wonderful message uh, from Shane Canfield of uh, WEPA. Shane, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks as well to Sanjay Kayani uh, from the Department of Health and Human Services. That's all the time we have for today. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Brainsford & Roth. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful day.